One, one. <clears throat> okay. JT from the future. Hello. Uh, so before we before we started the even recording this episode, I saw some uh, new alliances being built between the North and South and Central America when it comes to. Uh, living in your pajamas all the time. <laughs> I think uh, even though Hakim is a com comfy boy, as yeah. we call him, uh, <laughs> I don't think he will agree with this disgusting American ah, no, no, no. <laughs> pajamas oh, no. being worn outside. You guys no, no, are no, fucking no. animals. Yeah. That is not okay. Have some self-respect. As, as a true, as a true, as a true materialist Hegelian, I'm, I'm, I'm on the opposite. I'm, I sleep on the nude, my friend. So that's why I'm always in my pajamas. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what he's trying to tell you is that clo having clothing is ideology. Exactly. <laughs> to <be> exactly. <laughs> to, to be a true Marxist is to, be, <laughs> to walk out nude. with your balls on, out. On the nude, yeah. <laughs> you know, they say the Marxists want to take the clothes off your back. Yes, literally. <laughs> literally. You will not yes. have anything. No oh, property yeah. at all. We'll yeah. supp supply infinite amounts of beaches and infinite amounts of sunscreen, at least for our pale asses. There you go. I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was waiting. I was waiting. I was waiting. You're also additionally defended by all the hair. I'm a hairy motherfucker. Exactly. I don't know about there the other go, three yes. of you. So mm. that probably will, pr will protect me for a bit. JT, you look mm. like you're, you're very, your butt is very smooth, like a very smooth oh, yeah. guy. <laughs> Boy, I, t I tell you what, I don't, I don't need to get waxed or nothing. I just, I, I show up, I'm, I'm beautiful and shiny and clean and smooth. I, I just want to oil you down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, enough. we have a guest with us. <laughs> Our poor guest. <laughs> we yeah. can't be. I feel like I need to defend the Americans here also. Like, we're not always in our pajamas. Like, yes, my pajamas are very much my, my work uniform. <laughs> and, and yes, if I'm just going to get gas or something, I'll wear like my, uh, my jogger pajama pants but i always put on a respectable shirt that's that's or a hoodie I don't, yeah yeah you know i don't actually i don't think i even own a hoodie anymore it depends on where you go if you go to walmart yeah probably 60 percent of people are, are in their pajamas but if you go somewhere upscale like target maybe only 20 percent are in their pajamas i think the pajama wear and the active wear just took over the the the, mm. the the american lifestyle landscape and people like they take it the same way they do like recycling or not they just wear uh, sporty clothes and sportswear and pajamas to feel that they rest and to feel that they work out but they never mm. actually do you know so you <laughs> yeah. see consumption consumption <laughs> does all the work so they, ha they don't have to do it oh, that's a good point that's, that's a, a very that's big point. brain take yeah because <laughs> I had a, a weird period where like, you know, I, I wear formal clothing, but I wear casual clothing as well. If you would need to define a particular style that I follow, you would not be able to because depending on my fucking mood swings, I'm either, you know, going to a fucking war dressed up all military like or I'm a fucking corporate sellout or I'm literally cute little Christmas boy all the fucking time. <laughs> but uh, uh, I had this weird period. I remember I was 16 or 17. And I watched this weird uh, back in the phase in the you know period of you know anti SJW shit. This guy was not necessarily an anti SJW, but uh, he was like uh, how to be a real man. And mm. accidentally, it pops up on my feed, and he tells me if you are over twenty. And I wasn't over 20. He was like, if you are over 20 and you wear a shirt that doesn't have a collar, you're, you're basically a fucking child. <laughs> so oh I was God. like, how do I appear like I'm older in front of all the ladies, you know? <laughs> I, I pop a fucking collar. But where I grew up in the middle of the fucking Balkans, with, uh, where, you know, the sexy appeal of the boys was defined based on how new and sleek your, your tracksuit was, I just looked like <laughs> a massive nerd walking around in polo shirts all the fucking time. So that, that 
period lasted max a week. But it's it's crazy <laughs> how how it can get stuck in your brain. And to this day, to this day, I do I like I rarely buy T-shirts because deep like no matter how much I don't believe it. Somewhere in the back of my mind, uh, when I look at uh, a t-shirt, I'm like, man, I'm not fucking 16. I need to buy mm-hmm. old people clothes, I guess. Uh, so There are perfectly respectable t-shirts out there. Like a, if you get oh, yeah. like a nice thick, thicker material and it doesn't have like stick figures saying ironic things on it, yeah, it's a perfectly acceptable t-shirt. Like solid colors, very useful. Makes a good wardrobe out of a nice solid color tees. No, the thing is that like it's it's strange for me. Like uh, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting cultural shock because... I mean, I, I feel like I'm the older guy here. I'm 40. I don't know how, how old you guys are. So the thing is that I, I went through my corporate phase. Like I used to be a corporate sellout for a very long time. And, and I was forced to use like a casual and even suit sometime to, to mm. go to meetings mm-hmm. and presentations. And I feel, I feel like those clothes are the cosplay. You know, like that's, yep. Yep. That's, mm-hmm. that's power, like power attitude, businessman cosplay. But outside of that, like colors and, and the, the reason why we invented ties to begin with, like the material reason for ties to exist was to hold the neck of shirts before we had a technology to actually make a proper cut at the end of, at the end of our neck, mm-hmm. you know, to hold yep. the fabric together. But then after that, it became purely aesthetic. But of course, then it becomes purely ideological. And then, of course, mm-hmm. as we have to politicize aesthetics, ties and colors became a, a cosplay you know a cosplay symbol for the business world so like i, I think mm-hmm. uh, without without all these like bring take on why uh, there's a logic behind this fashion what i did is that when i quit the corporate world to to do my own thing is that i i, I completely rebelled against the cosplay and then i started going to meetings in you know white t-shirts and jeans and and that's all i own like you will go through my wardrobe and everything is like black and white jeans and, mm. and sneakers and that's it i don't know anything else but when yeah. you go even deeper down the rabbit hole, doesn't <laughs> it doesn't it become cosplaying and being anti corporate by oh, wearing yeah. <laughs> the opposite of oh, what yeah, they're yeah, yeah. wearing? Like right? Steve Jobs, right? Right? Cosplaying turtlenecks. Yeah. yeah. But what I the point that I always uh, try to make, I guess, and it completely does not go against what you what you just said, is that the uh, uh, socialists that you know uh, grew up uh, in a struggling environment, which I completely understand where they're coming from, tend to uh, like uh, define many just social and cultural, and in this case, like even aesthetic or fashion. Uh, happenings or trends or whatever as necessarily bourgeois so you would hear people say you know classical music is bourgeois or you know the suit as a concept is bourgeois yes under the context of capitalism Mm -hmm. it could be defined as such but if we keep giving all that shit to the so-called bourgeois then everybody who likes that sort of stuff will immediately just like i'm talking about normal people here you know very very normy normal people they'll just be freaked out by what the fuck these socialists are talking about like they they hate the fact that they listen to heavy metal you know what like what the (laughs) fuck then i obviously will not even hear out there any any sort of ideological standpoint that i might be and that might be coming from their side but obviously this is a niche problem it's not like it's mostly a fucking twitter thing let's be fucking honest or or when you're at uh, you know uh, a party meeting and some guy you know walks in with uh, with a fancy branded fucking bag or or hoodie and then you know the some of your other comrades after that when you grab, go grab beers uh, start talking shit and you're like what the fuck man you, you're about to make a split up because <laughs> the guy likes a particular brand but yeah it's a niche <laughs> thing I'm, I'm not trying to uh, build it up into something too big but 
uh, absolutely but yeah. still still we we shouldn't just give stuff to the other side for free you know this is yours this is yours and this is yours my only ideology is being cozy anything else is is stupid <laughs> bourgeois decadence you're all nerds i don't know what this marxism <laughs> stuff is you're talking about i, I just want to be cozy man <laughs> <laughs> it's not that you just want to grill you just want to be cozy. i just want to be cozy yeah oh. uphold marxism bidenism cozyism <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, under yeah. Bidenism, the kids cannot be cozy. Oh, my God. Oh. Oof. Oh. Was that too much? Or... <laughs> Brown or otherwise, but... Well, we, we, can't, we can't all have it. I was going to say, uh, I wonder how much of the America's GDP goes to keep Biden running. <laughs> <At this point. laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see the mix, the, the cocktail that he's on that they inject him with. The, oh, the my God. Force yeah. tranquilizer before he gets on stage. This <laughs> <laughs> was a big old syringe, a third world syringe. <laughs> I, I think fucking 12 French. I think we developed we developed the science to keep the, the, the queen alive for so long, so they probably know yeah. how to do it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they perfected it. Yeah, they perfected it. They know. But there must have been like uh Americans have the patent for keeping like old decrepit politicians alive. But when Joe mm. came into power, uh that's how we got the queen killed, because he's a proper mm. Irish laddie and he did not want us <laughs> to send any new vaccines for uh longevity of life over to the queen. So, you know, good yeah. job, uh base yeah, IRA Joe. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> So, welcome to yet another episode of The Deep Program. Today, we have a very exciting episode for you guys. Living up to the truly international nature of our show, we try to get guests from as many corners of the world as possible. And boy, do we have a treat for you. Born and bred in Brazil, but living in Mexico, our current guest, Diego Ruzarin, has a career so long and wide that it would take days to list out. But put very modestly, he is one of the biggest Marxist content creators from Latin America, with audiences in the hundreds of thousands and millions on many different platforms. An impressive orator, philosopher, quite the good-looking hunk, if I may say so myself. Uh, so as we said previously, I wish this wasn't audio only only for that reason uh, and most importantly <laughs> obviously a comrade so welcome again Diego thank you for taking the time to join us today uh, let's start with I guess a personal question slash story tell us a bit about your journey as a Marxist propagandist it's all so scary <laughs> I love it or as the kids nowadays call it you know a content creator <laughs> A bread tuber. No, come on. Now. Oh, no. No, 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 don't. no never. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm joking. I think, I think, I think being called a, I think being called a liberal is possibly a better, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. Better. I agree 100%. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, Of course, I'm of course, I'm joking as well. Guys, so. Th two, two sides of the same coin that should uh, yeah. be thrown in the cockpit. So. <laughs> Neat joke for you, Gopling. Sorry, go on. No, 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 please. So first of all, thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Like everybody know, I've been recommending your channels for a very long time since I since I begin with. Hey. I think I even done some uh, live reaction to some of your videos on, on my preview channels and even on Twitch. I'm a huge, huge fan. This is an honor for me to be here. So I, I don't take this for granted at all. I'm, I'm really glad and I appreciate the, the opportunity. Uh, having said that, I think 
my background as a Marxist, it's, it's, it's rather recent, to be honest, because I'm a designer by formation. After that, I have a master's degree in experience design. So I was still pretty much as a corporate sellout until my uh, early 30s. But then uh, something happened in my life that was a, a, a game changer, like a, a literal game changer. Uh, I'm married, I'm very happily married to a, a Mexican woman called Alejandra. And we had our first son. He was born in Brazil. At that time, I was working. I, I was actually funding my first company in Brazil. And our first son, at the age of two, he was diagnosed originally with autism. And the fact that he, uh, he was diagnosed aut with autism and the fact that my wife is a Lacanian psychoanalyst uh, made us very curious and got us into some research. And of course, autism is not really a diagnosis. It's more like a description of a behavioral pattern, but it doesn't necessarily explain the causes for that behavior pattern. And uh, me and my wife, we took different paths in order to understand these new um, life context that was given to us and you know the fact that uh, you are a father and a mother it really signifies you as, as responsible for this creature that is now completely in your hands and my wife uh, changed and complemented her expertise in Lacanian psychoanalysis with uh, biogenetics so she got into medicine, heart medicine, even eugenetics and understanding how we relate and how we are grown and how we are brought into the world. And, and she got really into how we are, what we eat and how we relate to nature and to food. From my side, I got more interested into politics and economy. So I started reading like a madman. I started reading into some several studies regarding capacism. So the way we judge people based on their capacities. And during my readings in capacism, of course, I came across a lot of several different uh, grotesque injustices that are systematic around the world. And uh, most of the time, out of coincidence, and then I, as I discover late after that, not a coincidence at all, most of these disparities, injustices, and, and grotesque uh, characteristics of our lifestyle are due to our uh, socioeconomic model. And uh, this, of course, led me into several great writers, great thinkers, and it led me into Marx. Because of Marx, I got uh, super interested in, in philosophy, and I couldn't stop there. So I had to do my work. And I read whatever uh, Marx was inspired from. I even like I, it was a coincidence, but my favorite sentence in philosophy it was actually cited as the favorite sentence from Marx in philosophy as well, which is from. Um, uh, a pre-Socratic philosopher, which is, um, uh, I am human and nothing that is human is foreign to me. And this notion, this, this very basic notion that we have to, to, to change our perception of our relationships and, and find structure and properly argumentative manners of understanding our reality led me to read uh, Hegel and then even go back from Hegel to Spinoza. And then I took like a, like a reverse path all the way back to the origins of philosophy. And I'm currently studying my uh, um, post-degree, uh, post-PSD, like postdoctoral uh, studies in critical theory which is now my current field of study. Uh, I've been over uh, postmodernism. I read pretty much all of the postmoderns, like the main ones, the most important ones. I'm currently reading about metamodernism. But uh, if I would uh, add some titles to my own description, even if I do consider myself a Marxist in, in most regards, um, I tend to struggle with the dialectical relationship from ideas back to the change into material conditions. And I tend to describe myself more as a neo-Spinozist, uh, not becoming completely a material, uh, a vulgar materialist, but um, understanding the notion that ideological superstructures are symptomatic 
but are mainly a secondary cause of material conditions. And, and in the end, history is determined and overdetermined, I will say, by material conditions first and foremost. Very interesting. And when it comes to your YouTube channel, your uh, Twitch, your Facebook and Instagram, choosing to uh, use this platform uh, to, to spread your ideas, how did you uh, mm. uh, get inspired to do that in particular? Did you have those platforms before? So you chose to convert them, something similar to what uh, JT, for example, has done, mm. or you started it up from the beginning, which is interesting. No, it's 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 actually it was it happened after because my brother is also a philosopher. He's currently studying uh, ethics of artificial intelligence in King's College in London. And uh, at the beginning, we used to have like a very small podcast between me and him called Rusarin Bros, where we spoke about philosophy. And it was just me and him ranting and having some friends over, but having like minuscule discussions with 100, 200 people watching us. It was mainly for fun, to be honest with you. But then something very unique happened to me in, in the society of spectacle, as, as Baudrillard would put it. Um, I was invited, by, almost by mistake, to a debate uh, here in Mexico. And the debate was organized by one of those, I, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the type of figure, is one of those motivational speakers, uh, you know, mm. uh, finance gurus, the, the guy no, had, yeah. had million, millions of followers. <laughs> he was like a huge media celebrity in, in Mexico. And I think somebody from his team fucked him over in the sense that, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, and I swear to God, even even the guy, the guy, the guy that organized the debate was fired after, and we found out that he wanted to fuck his boss over. So the guy organized a debate between me and his boss, and of course, oh, that's amazing. The, the guy that got incredible. He got destroyed. But uh, but I mean, I, not, I mean, I I never intended to. Like I tend to be, I tend to think of myself as a as a quite nice guy, respectful, I'm easygoing. I'm not too vulgar or offensive or not not. But during the debate, the other guy started like attacking me and being really like violent. And I started defending myself. And of course, my, like my defenses were actually pretty rational and, and well structured. The guy got totally wrecked. And I, and I mean like uh, like he lost his business, lost a million of followers, had to retire from. <laughs> social media the the, the president we stand. the president of mexico this is praxis yeah, yeah yeah exactly this this is actual praxis the the government of the the president of mexico mentioned him in a in a how do you say media room like in a in a news press mm. like talking about because it, it became like a huge huge media event in mexico i think so i got notice from somebody from youtube and i think he was one of the top 10 stories around the world that during that year wow. and of course when, when people got to know me because of that event they arrived to my channel and i already had like a hundred episodes of my podcast with my brother so in that year we became the number one podcast in mexico and it was strange because mm. philosophy was trending hegel was trending marx was trending so we got this huge amount of attention and uh, it has been almost two years after that and i took the opportunity to actually speak about the topics that i'm interested about which are uh, the ones relating the fact that uh, we should aspire to build a better future for our children and that in that implies reading marx that is such an interesting what a story. Tell me, tell me, guys, if I'm wrong, Kim JT, but he's basically <laughs> a, a good guy, Jordan Peterson. No, listen to me, because Jordan Peterson also had like a hundred episodes of him just talking to a hundred people up yeah. on YouTube. He did, but obviously he did a reactionary, very stupid, fucked up thing over in the university. Oh, I don't want to call uh, them a he or a she. Oh, I'm so intelligent, and you know that blew up. While there you is went, a crucial, and, there's a crucial yeah. difference. There's yeah. one crucial difference. 
It's that Diego's actually educated in the fields that he's speaking about. Mm. Right? <laughs> Peterson's just some <laughs> dumb fuck. He's a psychologist, I think, by yeah. profession, right? Yeah, Which yeah. is fine when you're talking about psychology. Exactly. <laughs> you can't just then rebrand yourself as a fucking philosopher. <laughs> no, all yeah, right? yeah. Now, again, not to say that you need actor, like you need, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Official, quote unquote, official yeah, yeah. certification in order to. But, yeah, but just yeah, look at we, Peterson's drip arc that he's gone on. Look at my God. What happened there? Yeah, that like he's, 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 he's the guy that makes his hood like fucking hates him is ridiculous yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think I think it's the benzo withdrawal I, I think oh, that's what it is guy, the yeah. colors the, don't the, work the, right the colors dis- the colors distract him uh, uh, from, sometimes from, it's drippy from the grinding of his drippy, teeth but it's like one in ten I have pro- he's just a, he's a He's built a, an image of himself as like this stuffy old mm. scholarly type. So he, pulling yeah. a hard rebrand like that, visual rebrand, yeah. is going to be pretty jarring for his audience. And, mm. and now on the topic of Jordan Peterson, like two things I never understood about Peterson. Like first, like how the hell can he misunderstood Nietzsche so much to make Nietzsche like a crypto religious moralist? That's fucking <laughs> insane. I mean, like... Nietzsche would spit on his face like he's insane like his his takes on Nietzsche are ridiculous he, 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 his takes on postmodernism he, his takes on fucking, oh, no, no, he, he has no idea oh, he, no no yeah he's, he has no, no the, idea the discussion he had the discussion he had with Zizek on Marx yeah. in which he went on this entire tirade for an hour and a half only for him to sit down and then Zizek asked him you speak a lot about these postmodernists can you name one yeah. these postmodernists <laughs> like please yeah. give me some names yeah. give me some and he could by the way this is the same guy who who supposedly is trying to deconstruct Marxism has spent his entire life basically having rejected Marx. Um, And all this is on the basis of a, the loosest possible reading. I dare say he probably looked at the Cliff Notes version of the, of just the Communist Manifesto. Exactly. Not even like, not even something decent, ooh, controversial, like the principles of communism. The Communist Manifesto barely fucking read it and then went and, oh my God. The guy's so obsessed with us. His entire house is covered with uh, uh, Bolshevik paintings. I don't know if you know that. His entire house. So, because, he wants uh, to quote him, I think. Oh, God, I was going to say something. Constantly reminded. Yeah, but when you, you, when you go the, into... You go think, I made a joke already think. on Twitter. It blew up. When we see Jordan Peterson's house, it's going to be for us. Uh, <laughs> Poor uh, guy. Yeah. It's going to be... You go think, no, hold on. Bleep, bleep, bleep this out, but you, you just said... <laughs> Oh, oh my god. god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he is a, 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 Russian, a, a Russian guy who is openly pro Stalin and a drug dealer, apparently. My knocked god. up is his, his daughter, right? And She's he a, lives in a house surrounded by, by ML mm. paintings everywhere. And he constantly likes to talk about, even when nobody asks him about communism, he wants to talk about what it. Like, it's, it's some weird, you know, I don't want to, like, call out diseases that he doesn't have but it looks that it's not I don't yeah. know there's something fucking off no but the, the thing is that I think this is a kind of nice segue because I think the the way um, Jordan Peterson started scapegoating whatever is wrong at the moment in the meta narrative especially in the US but I think as always no? like, like the US sets up the hegemonic conversation topics and then the rest of the world just suck on it like a diarrhea cascade but I think Jordan Peterson <laughs> set up the, 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 the talking points about setting up these neo-Marxists as the enemies but then of course it, it immediately devolved into communism is the enemy again and then I think, mm. I don't know how you guys feel it in, in your different regions in the world, but this is probably one of the main giveaways that Bolsonaro 
and these uh, reactionaries in Brazil, they have the seed of fascism in whatever they do because they have oversimplified in, in a unified, simple enemy, which is communism. Mm-hmm. You know, this empty scapegoat that is very convenient that you can hide whatever you want behind it. But I think it, it started, I, I don't know if, if, respons- if is Jordan Peterson responsible for this. Maybe postmoderns are also kind of responsible for it indirectly. But he made it into a talking point, you know, saying like, oh my God, the ones to blame are the postmodern neo-Marxists. And then, of course, since postmodern neo-Marxists don't exist because it makes no sense, you know, Marxism being a materialistic uh, framework and, and postmodernism be, being, you know, post-structuralist and denying this opposition between idea and, and, mate- and, and material um, aspects it just devolves back into communism and it's so it's so easy to just recover all those memes and those uh, cheap talking points and strawman arguments just to say that communism is to blame about everything that is wrong and that we don't like beautifully put which gives us an even better segue i guess into the next kind of uh question that we have prepared here for you Mm -hmm. uh we recently had an interesting kind of look-alike repetition of january 6th in brazil uh (laughs) literally a couple of days ago Uh, the the uh, tragedy part yeah exactly (laughs) where bolsonaro supporters qanon freaks and what i like to call in general the karen far right uh, did a copy paste uh, coup (laughs) attempt over in uh, rio de janeiro correct me if i'm wrong no in brazil in, in Brasilia, okay, yeah. thank mm-hmm. you. But at least as compared to the Yanks, they had a set plan, at least they said they did, which was for people who don't know, wait for the army to arrive and then have them switch sides and support the protesters against the leftist government while, you know, their boss eats fried chicken over in Florida. <laughs> He's in a hospital again, by the way. He's fucking impressive. <laughs> uh, but now, nah, please, Diego, tell us how like uh, you, yeah, yeah. you saw those unfolding events in front of your eyes. This is it's is, is super strange, man. I, 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 I took a deep dive into that uh, shithole, to be honest with you. And um, it, it's a pity because I have a lot of very close family members that got devoured by this uh, narrative mm-hmm. and this ideology. And it's sad because as, uh, as it was shown in recent studies, most of the people that are the most fervent supporters of this uh, reactionary ideology uh, currently taking hold of Brazil are over 40 and mostly men. So it, it makes sense. I think it's congruent with what we're seeing in other places of the world. But in Brazil, as in, and, and I will invite you, the listeners and you guys to take a look at the videos, it's mostly like elderly people, retired people, people with nothing to do. You know, the traditional reactionary, right? But, but the yeah. thing is that, and I was telling this to, to, Hugo, to Hugo, they're not ready to engage in social media conversation. They were not ready for fake news. They were not ready for WhatsApp viral videos. They were not ready for, you know, TikTok and Instagram. Instagram, political influencers sponsored by ideological think tanks. They were not ready for that. I think they, if we if we reframe a little bit back to, again, and I love this book, uh, Society of Spectacle from Baudrillard, but even, you know, Manufacturing Consent from Chomsky and uh, Marshall McLuhan, you know, the medium is the message of another medium and how we relate to, to, to media content. I think Brazil was simply overtaken by something that they were not ready for. They were absolutely not ready for. The other thing is that Brazil is very famous for the export of pop operas. You know, like novelas. Mm-hmm. You know, Brazilian. Oh, I, I I grew up on that shit. I you literally see? grew up on that. <laughs> can, can you Ana imagine? Maria de la Salute. Exactly. Yeah. Tieta. Yeah. And, and, and can you imagine, like, growing up, 
adhering and understanding the world via this meta-narrative structure <laughs> where you have a simplified version of good guys, bad guys, individualism, meritocracy, like everything is baked in, you know, like all the shitty, mm. uh, stupid, uh, he hegemonic, naturalized, uh, ontological perspectives of how the world works is baked into the, the soap opera, right? And soap opera became the, 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 the non-agreed upon language of how history works works from a Brazilian point of view. So suddenly these guys retired, mostly with nothing to do with their lives. They're involved into an actual war and they call it a spiritual war. It's a war for the, for the sake of our children. It's a, it's a war between good and evil. It's simplified to the point of ridiculousness. So it's very easy to adhere. And if you want, you can build yourself an echo chamber that is strong enough and hard enough mm -hmm. and, and, and congruent enough to simply justify whatever reason you take and to overthrow whatever argument is presented at you. So I, I, I'm just setting up the, the scenario because this is not an isolated event. And of course, this is not going away anytime soon. This is, this is probably the most important takeaway from this, which I think is also relevant to the U.S. I think to mm -hmm. begin with, as, as a political analysis, the reactionary politics on the right that we are seeing in Europe, in, in Latin America, in, uh, even in some places in Asia and in, in the U.S. as well, it's a consequence of the lack of inability of the left to present a proper political project. This is the first thing. Mm. And of course, we have been, yeah. we have been governed in, in Latin America and other countries around the world from these, you know, wh what we call them um, from my school of thought is that they are undefined left. I, I was telling Hugo that um, we, we have pretty much defined seven types of lefts historically. And what we have now is this sixth version that is the undefined left. So undefined because they, they adhere to left values in a very populist but superficial way. So they have the speech, mm. they, uh, they are woke, they, they seem to care about, you know, very ambiguous values, like equality, which means fucking nothing. They are humanists, yeah. which they are humanists, which has nothing to do with Marxism. And, and you know, they're crypto-moralists, which is fucking insane. It, it, they're <laughs> postmodern. Post it's, it's ridiculous. They still believe in the human being, which is redundant and over, uh, over like we have gone over that notion. They are modern in, in their philosophical and, and ontological notion of the world, but they, they present nothing in terms of uh, progressing the agenda of the proletariat, which is the most fundamental aspect of any leftist movement. That fundamental aspect they don't have. Uh, food for thought, though, and this is just for the conversation. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that this is directly engineered to be that way? That all the aesthetics are quote unquote right, all the uh, you know uh, non-controversial opinions are quote unquote right. Yeah. Um, the, the correct opinions, I mean. Mm. But when it comes to the actual material basis of the ideology or the ideology that they propose or bring forth, there is no challenging of private property, mm. no challenging of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, no challenging of the current relations uh, of production. None of this stuff is yeah um, present, even touched upon. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree hundred percent. I, I I just don't know if I would agree, and this is because of my philosophical notions that this notion that is manufactured mm. it I, I you know i struggle with this notion of freedom uh, I, I, do you guys have a take mm. on freedom what do you think freedom is do you have a, a definition or do you believe we are free what's your take on determinism versus freedom <laughs> we're going to be here for the next couple hours i'll give you a very quick like two sentences um i think uh in a very dialectical sense ooh, uh, <laughs> that in this in the same way that you in and of yourself have an inherent nature um, that's 
not only not only emanates from within yourself, but also is formed by the under, underlying material conditions of the um, society and structures that you find yourself within. Mm-hmm. Um, you have free choices. You have the freedom to make your, your choices, uh, but within the constraints of the material environment world. around exactly. you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in 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 general, yeah, I guess you're free uh, to make your decisions and to think the way you think. Uh, but the limitations, of course, are structural right. um, and they're outside of your control. Right. That's the true way to, to expand freedom is to expand the structure in which you exist and then change the exactly. predetermined factors which influence your uh, your existence. That's indirectly. Not by, you know, oh, I'm changing something individual, mine in my life. But mm. yeah, so or changes. Then the just putting fact- more American flags on things. That will also <laughs> increase freedom. Oh, of course. <laughs> so, so, so we're all Spinozists in our notion of freedom. Because Spinoza, yeah. Spinoza's, de- <laughs> yeah, Spinoza's definition of freedom is that freedom is the subjective ignorance of the causes that limits us. But that is the materialist view. And yeah. Isn't it that, isn't, I mean, not to be the, the controversial, because I know Spinozists especially uh, are incredibly uh, pedantic with terms, but wouldn't it be appropriate to say that Spinoza was a kind of, uh, I don't want to say a primitive materialist, but um, a, a form of, yeah. uh, he, he pers- subscribed to a form of materialism. Absolutely. Uh, he he was slightly vulgar, but. Yeah. The only difference, well, well, the only difference, there's a lot of differences between Spinoza and Marx. Mm. But one thing that, I, that the one, mm. one of the things that I, that I think is, is bringing back Spinoza, which I find super interesting, is that Spinoza was a monist materialist. Mm. You no, know, he's like a non-dialectical materialist to be like that. That's the, mm. that's the hard part. Like for me, and this is the same, the same conversation that for me is the, the core conversation that we should be having on the left because i i think we should all agree or or we can agree at some point that the uh, the enemy in some shape or form is idealism Mm -hmm. like like one off but yes yeah one off but but like i think i think the left is at its weakest when it becomes idealistic and and most Mm. of our arguments you need to go ahead no, no, no I, I agree with your perspective, uh, partly. Uh, but the one thing that we need to realize, two things, of course, the, the Marxist maxim, uh, that is, it's all good to have the philosophy. We can interpret the world, but again, the point is to change it. Yeah. Uh, that's number one. But number two, I think an all-out philosophical assault on what would be deemed as idealist, especially by a, for example, a nascent left or a left that isn't, all that developed in and of itself mm-hmm. um, that becomes divorced from the conditions of everyday people. Like all these yeah, conversations yeah. are very good to have and restructuring the left and bringing them back to number one, um, a social materialist outlook, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the analysis of, you know, like I'll, I'll bring the number one example and then I'll shut up. The number one example I like to use uh, is that before Lenin uh, brought forth his amazing analyses, and before Mao also brought forth his amazing analyses. Um, both of them did a local study of the number one development of capitalism or development of semi-feudal relations within the regions that they were. Yeah. So uh, Lenin wrote uh, on the development of capitalism in Russia, uh, and uh, also um, Mao wrote a similar work. That I'm, the, the the name of it skips my mind right now. Um, that is inherently the first position we should take when right. we mean materialism. And I know that this is what you mean as well, uh, or I, at least my assumption is. Yeah, yeah, but is. the liberals and the walls are kicking very hard, so I need to. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I agree. I agree with, with what you with what you're framing. It's exactly what we need to do. We need the material analysis of our conditions first, mm-hmm. and then based on our material mm-hmm. analysis, then we need to, to to build our plans upon. So going back to the to the to the situation in Brazil, right? So so I think that the, the these uh, neo-fascist or proto-fascist 
populist movements, reactionaries that we are seeing in Brazil. And I and I do want to point out there's a lot of similarities between fascism and what's happening in Brazil. I don't think it's quite big enough just to call them reactionaries or extreme right, because I do think there's a lot of seeds, especially from these 13 points from Umberto Eco, which are very helpful as, a, as, a, as an entry point guide to identify some of the uh, aspects of, of fascism as, a, as an naturally yeah. dis- dissolving ideology coming from liberalism that but, are... Uh, but it always evolves. So, no, you're right. As a, not beginners, but as an introductory explanation yeah. of what a fascist is, yes, Umberto is absolutely brilliant. But exactly. obviously fascism is con- in constant motion. So there's yeah. ways to avoid the, the questions and still be a fascist. But yeah, apologies, right. please. Continue. No, 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 don't worry. So so, so how, how we became to be like this, my explanation is a mix between the lack of capacity of the populist undefined left to actually come up with a proper solution to the pains of the of the working class and we can see it and and these evolving pains of the working class just dissolve and getting tired of being proposed ideological solutions to material problems which i think is my diagnosis of of the incompetence of the political left in latin america providing ideological solutions to material problems they got fed up with that and they found a new flag to rally upon and this is the reactionary proto-fascist right and then what happened uh, punctually saying in, on, on January 8th in Brazil is that uh, different from, from, from America is that for in Brazil, Lula was already elected because in the US, uh, Trump was still president. That was one of the key differences. For us, Lula was already elected, but Bolsonaro fled the country and went to Miami. He, just as most very coward uh, politicians, he faked a medical condition to get uh, admitted into a hospital. Of course, the hospital found nothing and he got kicked out in two days. That was ridiculous. And it was even it was even like very ideological because he said that the problem was in his stomach. Like he was literally shedding himself out of fear of going to jail <laughs> yeah Too much KFC. Mm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. you know material conditions provided ideological justifications but but then <laughs> of, of course he was still connected with most of the whatsapp uh, whatsapp uh, fanatic groups and and facebook uh, uh, fake news and whatnot and a, a lot of these was uh, orchestrated and now there's documents proving that some international banks and even blackrock was funding the agribusiness in brazil and most of the money funding the the, the strike on the capital on the 8th of January came from the agro-business and indirectly from American banks and international banks through the agro-business in Brazil. Uh, the, the other key difference between Brazil and the U.S. is that in the U.S. there was almost no repercussion. Yeah. Also, in a way, reflecting the relationship between this unrest and the bourgeois class. And in Brazil, 1,200 people went to jail. Yeah, I saw this morning, I think, that it was something like 55 buses of of bolsonaro supporters were were stopped that's that's incredible to me like hearing that and seeing what the response was in the u.s which was pretty much nothing nothing. it's very it's it's shocking the the difference that that you can have in two very similar events yeah the the relationship build up between this now new government of what uh, not even half a year and obviously in brazil from what i know at least a very let's call it independent uh, military and police wing uh it's kind of impressive to see that that relationship has been established so quickly and 
especially after such a long rule by Bolsonaro. But then again, we do not know what exactly in these deals uh, for the support for the military and the police for Lula's government, you know, what is being indirectly or directly transacted. Uh, or you know it could be best case scenario, and even even the the pigs and the military don't fucking like these <laughs> bad shit insane fascists. Yeah. But uh, you know you 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 never know. But that kind of leads us into. I mean, you kind of already touched on the point, but uh, I'll generalize the question. Uh, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what does a uh, principled, uh, let's call it leftist, because okay, Marxist, Spinozist, da da da. Uh, a principle that how how do you do you feel about this very intense uh, let's call it left wave of uh, mostly social democrats b- mm. being uh, elected into into power all over uh, all over South Am- Latin America? Do you think that is uh, a net positive for? Uh, the building of uh, a proletarian society in South mm. America in general, for the radicalization of uh, mm. of Marxist, for the gen- genuine um, principled Marxist movement, I guess. Or do you think that the the cause and effect, the effect of, will just be, you know, the further placating, as they say, of the of the masses who now, you know, are going to get the little taps on the head and they'll be they'll be happy and radicalization is going to be slowed down up mm. until just a new Bolsonaro pops up eventually. Well, I think I think like like most very good questions, they already presuppose half of the half of the answer. So my my take on on your question is that um, I'm moderately scared, I will say. So my my animosity is not net positive. Why? First, because I think, generally speaking, the discourse and uh, more than that, the economical plans that these presidents are presenting. And when I say these presidents, I mean Lula, Boric, Petro, AMLO. So Colombia, Mexico, Brazil, even Argentina, you could say Chile. Uh, their economic plans and their development plans are mostly neoliberal. And I think just as the one that came before them, which are, were mostly left-leaning centrists, uh, they were the ones that created the material conditions that gave rise to this neo-reactionary uh, ideology. So my fear is that uh, having a, a reading of these uh, recurring events in history, they will not fix the problems that are actually causing pain to the working class. So by failing to do so, they will only add gasoline to the fire and the hatred of the left, but also, which is now becoming more and more relevant, and I fucking hate it, it's a, a hatred towards centralized government. And, and now the conversation in Latin America is steering from left to right, is steering to the, the true heart of neoliberalism, which is government versus no government. And, and I think this is, this is the one that becomes really scary for me because we tend, we tend to think of, of history as a forward movement, but it can easily, easily be, be towards a much worse situation than we are today. So when yeah, we, yo-yo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so when we say communism or barbarism, 
today it's, it's an actual fear because when I hear these conversations about decentralized and Web 3.0 and anarcho-capitalism and, you know, these like crazy ideas from mm -hmm. Rothbard, von Mises and Hayek, people have no idea what they're talking about when they want smaller government. Like especially at the, the level of fragility that we are have now with big data, with big, uh, with big tech, like it's it can easily, easily, easily get uh, out of out of route and into something as Elysium and one of those post-apocalyptic movies that we love to 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 watch and just say, damn, yeah, it's 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 over dramatized. It's never gonna happen. Like that, that's what scares me. You know, Until you know, it does, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 scary. It's, it's strange, but it, it's a reading that we should at least consider if we are serious about politics. That it can happen. I, I you know, Marxists should not be doing predictions because uh, uh, new ideological superstructures only emerge as a result from changing material conditions. So what we should be very aware is how technology is shaping us, how technology is enabling new relationships of power, how relationships of production are changed by evolving, emerging, and, uh, and, and changing hands of technology and, and, and other um, uh, social conditions. So that's what should be really, uh, let's say, in our radar to, to, to give this reading. So, and, and the other thing that is slightly concerning to me about the, the topics of conversation in the current Latin American left is... One thing that, that really makes me shed my pants is when they talk about the Amazon. So we already had a speech from Petro from Colombia saying that they need the help from the U.S. to control the drug cartels and to control the Amazon as one of the key uh, nature reservoirs around the world. These, these type of topics make me like want to smash people against walls because that's insane <laughs> you know like if we have no mm -hmm. sovereignty over our territories then we can never aspire to something better but the only caveat i will add is that as lenin said it's much easier for us to fight for the proletariat cause from a social democracy than it is from a from authoritarian feudal capitalist society so that's that's the only good caveat i will say but we have to be very smart even if i don't believe in reformism we have to be very smart and advance the cause as much as possible to improve the quality of life and the power of the of the proletariat class I will also sit in a, throw in a caveat because although it's true that it's easier to organize uh, when in in less less like restrictive conditions, let's say mm -hmm. within most of the social democracy. And again, we we discussed this earlier in earlier episodes. The material base of social democracy, for example, in Latin America, for example, let's say in Bolivia, mm -hmm. compared to, for example, Norway, are fundamentally different. Oh yeah, um, Norway gets it through unequal exchange, value transference, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Meanwhile, uh, Bolivia gets it through usually the, um, a form of accumulation from its private uh, from its uh, nationalized resources. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, at the end of the day when some people somebody for example in France might hear this um, they need to understand that a new difficulty is brought up in the social democracies that benefit from imperialism in that you end up with basically um, a certain segment of that ruling class usually the ones who are in the trade unions and whatnot um, being part of a labor aristocracy and they benefit more from the overexploitation of the third world than uh, oh, yeah. basically class solidarity with the proletariat so the, the, the point gets a lot more nuanced again this is just the liberals kicking in the walls <laughs> sorry I cut you off go on no no it's, it's perfect Perfect. And I think, and I think your, your explanation, Hakim, um, fits in perfectly with why uh, Biden is supporting Lula and not Bolsonaro. Mm. 
Yeah, which would lead me exactly to the next question. How are how is the West, from your perspective, reacting to this, however problematic, quote unquote, left wave all over all over South America? Is uh, and in general, I think it would be very interesting for the viewers and also for my Balkan ass and for his Iraqi ass and for his uh, Yankee mm-hmm. ass, uh, <laughs> just to to uh, is the West's influence over Central and South America as prominent as in the Cold War? Probably the answer is going to be no, but still. Mm. Uh, is it uh, well-established as it was uh, uh, back then? Is it more direct, less mm. direct? Because it, at one point it was very direct with yeah. you guys, like Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Uh, sorry for laughing. It was dark humor. It didn't no, mean to yet. offend <laughs> in any way. Uh, but... Um, the, the the relationship, not the relationship. How does the West impact the uh, the sovereignty of uh, Central and Southern America, and also obviously different socialist movements or socialist ideology? Just to, just to be clear, when you mean the West, you mean the Anglo Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the the Yanks and the English. But the English yeah. no longer that relevant. But yeah, the yeah the Anglo uh, Empire. Uh, JT's people. No, those. Are not his people. Yeah, yeah it's, it's probably it's probably what we call yeah, well, NATO and the, the Anglo Empire. Let's say so. Uh, taking well, I was not there on the '64, which was the last time the the U.S. was directly involved into a coup d'état in Brazil. I was not there. I know there are more recent ones in other countries in in Latin America, which was I was happily not part of. But I can say that it's it's hard to to respond to your question because I think the way the Anglo Empire. Uh, influences other countries around the world has drastically changed from when mm-hmm. from when we were growing up. So it's hard for me to make a judgment to say if it's less or more. I will say it's just different. It's just different, but but then again, a lot of things are different. Well, like I, I will tell you what I will strive for and what I think is is the topics of conversation that we should be having in Latin America. We probably need to take advantage of this moment where we are on a glimpse of a new multipolar world, and we need to choose our commercial partners wisely. Uh, First of all, I think Latin American countries need to invest heavily on productive forces because this was destroyed in the last few decades, uh, completely uh, uh, contrasting what happened in, in, in China, for example, that China heavily, heavily, heavily develop their productive forces, even like within all the, the compliments and, and, and critiques they, they, they should respond to. I think Latin America fell, fell back, you know, like instead of developing, you know, intellectual capital and productive forces, intelligence, innovation, and this, the proper STEAM sciences until a certain degree. And, you know, productive forces is based on the government and strong uh, government entities and agencies, you know, controlling petroleum, raw materials, being able to transform petroleum into actually fuels. Instead of doing that, what we did because of neoliberalism, which I think is the way that is more effective to influence the relationship of subordination between Latin America and the Anglo Empire, is that through neoliberalism, what they did is that they completely stopped our, our productive development and they made us um, commodity dependent. And by making a country commodity dependent, and I think you can see, for example, the example of Venezuela and Cuba, when when you don't have even like, let's say, like a wide array of commodities you can export and you depend on one commodity, you become super vulnerable. And I think the, the, what saved Brazil and other countries in Latin America is that at least they had more than one thing to export. So they had clients all over the world, which made them slightly less vulnerable. But even so, the vulnerability, it was made super clear. 
the fact that uh, the, we, we were made, um, we were took advantage of because we had no option, because we had a single commercial partner. And this single commercial partner, even using the logic of the market, made us more vulnerable. And I think what mm-hmm. we need to do, what we need to do for the next few few decades, is to regain our investment, heavy political and, and state investment into the uh, development of intelligence, technology, innovation, productive forces, and at the same time, develop commercial partnerships, especially with China. And, and this I'm going to be crystal clear. I think the, the Latin American countries will benefit heavily from developing a more strong, a, a wider uh, number of uh, different channels, different categories, different industries with China and potentially even with India and other countries in BRIC in order to break this uh, unilateral dependence on the U.S. and the Anglo Empire. Mexico is a very different story because Mexico, as they say here in Mexico, is too far from God and too close to America. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. I'm writing that down. (laughs) And and it's true because in a way, Mexico is is a type of of economical stronghold on in a very bad geographical position where we share pretty much all of our northern, all of our northern bodies and most of our territorial border with the U.S. And uh, most of what we export goes to the U.S. So in, in the end, we depend on the prices they set and the conditions they set and what they ask for in return. And we're fucked. Right. But Brazil is different. I I want to hope and I want to think that Brazil can really be the shining light into providing a new alternative for the left in Latin America as a leading country. Also understanding that the diplomatic school of Brazil, which is Itamaraty, is super strong with very qualified diplomats. And I hope that they can they can develop a progressive, economically progressive agenda and development driven Marxist economists to actually develop the productive forces of Brazil and then the rest of Latin America. America can use that, uh, those ports and all that uh, beautiful maritime um, uh, border to actually develop non-unilateral commercial relationships with other countries and regions. A multipolar world will definitely change almost all the pieces on the chess table, at least uh, from where they are positioned right now. And hopefully South America, just like many parts of the world, uh, especially when it comes to mid-sized developing countries, manages to take as much advantage of that as possible. Uh, we know that even if we look at the Cold War or even if we look at like pre-capitalist societies, uh, arguably when uh, multiple empires are at each other's throat, uh, they uh, can either be played into the hand of uh, of smaller countries or they can be at least ignored. The smaller countries can at least be ignored to mm. reestablish themselves in their own particular way. Mm. Uh, but... So if, if, um, if, if I may, there's yeah. there's there's one extra comment that I think is relevant to what you said. Please um, do, yeah. A lot of um, Marxist-Leninists in Brazil right now are talking about the dangers of the balkanization of Brazil. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there, there's a danger of balkanization everywhere. You yeah. should look at the Balkans as an example. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and, uh, and, I, I and the counter the word. and the counter movement, which is very interesting, it's called uh, 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 Iberophonic Bloc. So Iberophonic mm-hmm. Bloc will be a block built 
uh, front of all the countries around the, the different countries around the world that speak Portuguese or Spanish, which are the only two languages in the world that share 99% commonalities and have the same type of uh, being and doing verb uh, structure, which is fundamental for human understanding. So these mm. uh, uh, like Spanish and Portuguese are super, super common. And uh, if we unite, you know, all Latin America plus some countries in Africa, uh, two countries in, in Asia and Spain, then we potentially have another block that can have a chip on the table and um, take advantage of, of this course. new non, non-monopolistic new view of the world. Of course, of course. Unification is always preferable as long as, you know, we all know this, but uh, as Hakim calls them, the liberal in the wall is talking. As long as, you know, <laughs> the biggest player in the given federation doesn't suppress the cultural identities of all the others. Pan line and then whatever is i think almost 99 percent <laughs> of the time uh, a great great uh the kind of direction for all of the world's continents to go into and eventually you know like this we can only dream but uh the the, the planet is actually united at some point but uh you know i think we'll need uh aliens to all unite against because otherwise we will see too many differences <laughs> in each other i don't actually believe that I know it's <laughs> a cliche point to make i absolutely do not believe that we definitely see more similarity in each other than difference but we are materially uh because of the material conditions we are pushed into hating each other in order to not concentrate on uh, their actual similarities because then we would notice who the actual enemy is and that is always almost always in the form of class um, like this is one on one shit we had whole episodes about this I apologize to the listeners no no uh, or the new ones uh, you know refer to previous episodes but this is a completely just for me question a very quick one mm-hmm. um, uh, and it might be a bit stereotypical to ask somebody from South, South America but I don't care I really wanted to ask it. What is the what is the relationship between arguably the most powerful criminal organizations on the planet, which exists exactly in South America, which are commonly called uh, cartels, but it's a bit more complex than that. What is their relationship with big capital, with government, with mm. uh, with the way South America is run in general? I thought yeah, I thought you were going to say banks when you said like the biggest cartels. Banks as well, yeah, <laughs> banks as well. Ah, <laughs> the big yeah, those, why not? I think well. Uh, um, arguably, I can respect the cartel more because at least they're honest <laughs> with chopping heads off. The bank, yeah. you know, <laughs> pretends it's shaking your hand. So I think uh, in in the end, I think uh, even even drugs, um, there's exploitation of labor directly, and I think it's it's kind of hard because you have to make like an abstract concept of what is the meaning of cartels in order to to judge it and to justify its existence or to moralize what, what it. The legal, what, the, what the legal bourgeoisie defined as the illegal bourgeoisie. Exactly. So how does the mm-hmm. illegal bourgeoisie, how does it, yeah. uh, does it work together with well, the legal bourgeoisie? Is there direct conflict between them? It's just interesting because arguably, you know, this sounds like very dehumanizing, but South America, uh, certain parts of it, for yeah. example, especially Colombia and uh, especially certain parts of Mexico are kind of this massive experiment where we as Marxists can actually see the illegal bourgeois and the legal bourgeois and how they interact and when they work together and when very interestingly they work very much against each other and yeah. why that comes to be and when it changes and then when it comes to be again etc cetera, etc cetera. so so for I, I i don't know if it, it well let, let me make the analysis which i think will add most value to the conversation like beyond the, okay. the, the traditional points in a way the way politics work in, I'm, I'm going to talk about Latin America that I know the most, but I think a lot of these aspects will apply to other regions as well, is that um, there's no corruption in the U.S. because financial lobby is legal. 
right? Mm. Because if there was if, if there was no legalized financial lobbying in the US, it would be completely corrupt. The, like the government is overflown with private investment and private money. So private money mm. plays as an let's say it's it's is this notion of let's say in anarcho capitalism, if if you keep some type of democratic structure, instead of having one person one vote, you will have one dollar one vote. Mm-hmm. So in Latin America, the relationship between our life and uh, and the drug business beyond the uh, you know demand and consumption and 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 how it uh, ends up being a solution for alienation and and people just like end up killing themselves in drugs because of other material uh, facts that led them there. I think that the, the cool analysis to do here is to think of them as another category of industry. Yeah. And and the fact is that they have a lot of money to influence politics. And in the end, they are a huge player when it comes to politics, a huge, huge player. So they do help define who is going to lead and how they're going to lead and how much business they're allowed to keep on doing uh, versus how much money they can inject back into politics. So having said that, I don't think it's different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not fundamentally different from any other industry in the sense that, and, and, and it's strange because I was there in, in Brazil during the last World Cup when the meat industry from Brazil, which is huge, absolutely monstrous, is actually super big in the U.S. as well, the same Brazilian companies, JBS, Marfrig, and Swift, like that, they were injecting like millions of dollars into the government in exchange for conditions that will make their operations easier. Like, super simple example. It costed, mm-hmm. it, and, and this was actually calculated. Eh? It, was, it was advertised within CEOs and, and politicians. For you to change a law, it will cost you 1% of the money you will make out of changing that law. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was... I wish I was surprised. I wish I was yeah. surprised. Yeah, and I can I, hear the boys not reacting. But, yeah. you know, this should be like super blow your mind, right? Well, this like, is the US, my friend. this should be like, what the fuck? But <laughs> I want, there's a bigger return? Yeah. The, but, the, but the, but the positions see, are cheaper? Or down the, south? <laughs> so this is, this is the type of, of system, systematic philosophical analysis that I like to do of capitalism as a... As, a, as an internal logical system that is always acting behind what we understand as human free will and end up manifesting into the result of our, of our, um, of our actual society. So, so you see, like, let's say you're a, you're a meat-producing company and you say, you know what, my, 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 my meat doesn't rot after six months. It actually rots at seven months. So do you mind changing the shelf life of meat from six to seven months? Because that, mm-hmm. will, make me, that will make me save a lot of money on meat that I'm throwing uh, away because of overproduction, right? So yeah, the government will say, okay, so how, mon- how much money would you make out of that change? I don't know, $100 million per month. Okay, perfect. So you pay me 1% of that and I'm going to change the law. That's how it works. So with the drug yeah. cartels are the same. So what are the type of changes, structural changes that I need in order to increase profitability of my business? And how much money can I give back to the government in order to make sure that those conditions are appropriate to my, to my operations? You know, in a way, in a weird way, this is like, I know you touched on this as well, but I think the reason that I, I, I can't speak for JT, but I will. <laughs> um, for both of us, I think the reason we're so unimpressed by this um, is if you've been on the left long enough, you realize that that's just uh, business as usual, yep. even quote unquote legal bourgeois governments, exactly as you mentioned. But the thing is that in legal bourgeois governments uh, or the within the bounds of legality of um, uh, bourgeois governments, uh, these are even way more uh, transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These forms, yeah. mm-hmm. um, exactly. in, in a way that becomes like uh, it's almost 
it's flagrant the 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 absolute um like again not to use the terms but this is the terms that marx gave us that make sense in in or at least lenin uh popularized the the how flagrant they exercise the dictatorship of their class over us yep. um to the point that they don't even feel the need to pretend yeah. to try to legitimize themselves in the in their democracy mm-hmm. quote unquote democracy in the economic sphere etc etc um and this is kind of a laziness that um I've began to notice a lot more with the EU specifically as well as mm-hmm. yes. uh, with the United States like as as the the, the shining example uh, because I remember what 15 years ago mm-hmm. um with the you know like the Iraq war was not uh, uh like you know it's uh, picking up in the in the worst aspects basically uh and they still tried to do the nonsense they still tried to make <laughs> themselves to, to legitimize themselves yeah, yeah. in what they were doing but now it's like for example <laughs> like um a couple of months ago uh as always they loaded up uh, old joe uh big boy joe with um all the amphetamines and, and god knows what that he needed uh <laughs> and he gave a, a speech about freedom in cuba and all that kind of nonsense and just a few weeks ago um there is basically a uh, rule of refusal uh of cuban refugees at the southern us border along with mexicans and guatemalans and other and other central asian but people not ukrainians um and Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, U- Ukrainians can't come, but uh, uh, American <laughs> weapons funded by American by JT's tax money uh, <laughs> can go over. Um, JT, uh, your uh, electrical grid can fail at any moment. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's teetering yeah, on a nice edge. I'm ready. Edge. I've got my flashlights <laughs> and my emergency wood for a fire in the middle of my living room. <laughs> but it's for your own just, good. Just, eh? just, uh, just yeah. flash, right, yeah. just flash the Ukrainian flag you have on mm. your wall. It's going to illuminate exactly. the room. <laughs> exactly. It, uh, do you know why it's going to illuminate? It's it's because it's gonna glow from all the fucking CIA bots <laughs> fucking <laughs> turf the yeah. entire I'm sorry anyway sorry sorry I, I, t- I, I just want to interject there please no no that, that's perfect so so in the in the end like I, I use this um, this point of the of the drug cartel just to just to remind people that even if we have these um, almost arbitrary division between legal and non-legal industries that the definition of legal and non-legal is a bourgeois definition so we yeah, should yeah. also mm. we should also be very very skeptic of the definition of what is legal and non-legal and and just using mm. the, the you know the paradox of the legality of some industries even if they produce more harm and, and more uh, you know like death you know if you judge the amount of death produced by the pharmaceutical industry or the chemical industries versus the amount of death produced by the drug cartels it's nothing you know they're amateurs yeah minuscule the the, the, the drug cartels are fucking amateurs you know like if you talk to Ronald McDonald he's the biggest capo killer of the, of the whole world <laughs> you know yeah. he's like you clowns you have no idea how to be effective at killing you know how many people yeah. you know like you know Mexico is number one in child obesity and child mm-hmm. diabetes and in is a developing country for I'm, Carl's I'm, sakes. I'm imagining Ronald McDonald like in, in Russian like uh, mafia tattoos like walking <laughs> yeah. up. Hey little boy, mm. eat this burger. You know it's <laughs> yeah. good for you. <laughs> Those are amateur numbers. Or, or, saying, hey, yeah. or like, yeah, or, or Ronald McDonald say, hey, Sam, what you doing <laughs> with a fucking knife yeah. running at him? Exactly. <laughs> with oh like a, with yeah. that shirt, you know, that long, like, <laughs> like, oh, Lord. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 uh, what's it called? The, yeah. the plaid shirt that's only buttoned at the, the yeah, top yeah. button. 
I, I don't know I, yeah. if this is a, a stereotype or not. Yeah, from, from, I'm not American. Yeah. I wouldn't know. From, 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 from GTA. And, and using the paradox yeah. of legality to talk the same thing that is happening in the U.S. Like, it didn't impress you guys because in the U.S. it's considered as legal. So we take those normative mm. terms as hegemonic, you know, like as naturalized, yeah, exactly. as always existing, mm. as a perfect reflection of how reality should work. And they're not. You know, it's, it's insane that and because to, lobbying... To expand this... Yeah, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Go go no, my rant is over. It was just no, repeating I, myself. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, I was going to say to expand on this also, a point of interest, I think, is um, this is not so much a capitalism critique. critique this is just a human, humans being humans type of thing. But any, everybody born in whatever uh, um, time mm-hmm. uh, always thinks that the system that they currently live under, the hegemony that they mm-hmm. currently live under, mm-hmm. is basically just how it's always yeah. been. Uh, yeah. And capitalism has kind of encapsulated this in the individualist form and as a result um the way that people consider what like you know the concept of a republic especially in the modern sense mm-hmm. what quote-unquote democracy is and how it's practiced um relations between countries etc etc including also these sort of like the the illegality versus non uh, illegality and how it's defined by basically along the the, the terms that the bourgeois uh, the bourgeoisie define uh mm-hmm. defined as such at least um all this falls underneath this um encampment or not encampment sorry this uh, tent uh, of uh, of uh, modern hegemony but at the end of the day just the, the the point is that just because it's been like this your whole life and possibly your parents lives and your grandparents lives doesn't mean that this is just uh, number one how it's always been number two how it'll always be uh, and this is kind of the first step in breaking the uh, i think the the ideology of capitalism um and i we can speak on on this point forever uh when especially when in fields of organizing and whatnot but that's just the point i want to make no perfectly i, I agree 100 percent. and and it's crazy because if you think about it like that we already live in a type of anarcho-capitalism because <laughs> it's 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 insane i've had this idea like hunting my mind for a couple of months now we already live in anarcho capitalism it's insane like after after you read von mises and rothbard and hayek and you think okay okay so so the market is the only true regulatory force yeah well yeah, pretty much it is. I mean, yeah. pretty much it is. Why? Because no, no. But hey, you 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 need to make sure that the milk that three year olds get doesn't ha- isn't filled with cryptococcus, okay, <laughs> with bird droppings, and as a result, yeah. I lo- I <laughs> there's love, no freedom. I, lo- I love anarcho capitalist jokes, like you know, like uh, von Mises, Hayek, and Rothbard walk into a bar, they order a beer, and the three of them die because the alcohol is adulterated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. it's, it's, it's crazy, but 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 still, you know, like I. I think like we're alive like we we haven't gone to that extreme angle of anarcho-capitalism with nothing is regulated because they still mm. need human labor that's it mm. that's the only reason we're alive you know like me and yugo were joking the other day about the future ai proletariat being the next emancipatory class it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy but you know like you can even talk about abortion as a purely productive public policy you know, it's, it's not moral at all. Like, we dress it up as moral, but it's not a moral argument. Mm. It's purely a matter of productive forces. Like, do you need more hand labor or not? And then abortion makes sense or it doesn't make sense. But it's purely productive. Like, I, I do believe we dress it up as, as what we want people to swallow the hard pill because the decision was already made mm. based on a, on a financial analysis. Mm. Or, or even a financial uh, or even as a financial logic that operates through us like through like going across us but like beyond our capacity to understand it or act against it 
if the market is the only regulatory force, and uh, for example, if we use the US as an example, and the United States government can legally accept uh, lobby money uh, to change its policies, to change its outlook, to change what it votes for, et cetera, et cetera. Then indirectly, uh, the market, meaning the people that have more dollars, mm -hmm vote through their dollars instead of the people on the actual ballot box. So yep. indirectly, the anarcho-capitalist idea of, you know, one vote equals one dollar from the yep. perspective of the lobbyist, which is the biggest players in the market, indirectly, quite literally, can control almost all regulations which happen in the United States. And as you said, the only reason why, you know, uh, the, the, we need to say that in the milk there's no bird shit is because for now they need to sell the milk obviously you need still the market operates on a basis of, of some relative supply and demand so they need to sell in order to generate profit but as we know you know that can be overturned at one point when yeah. they fucking feed us with bird feeders bird topics for some and, reason and my but uh no, and my, and my fear is that in a way they already know it. You know, the fact that Elon Musk is talking about UBI and you have like all these dumb politicians talking about universal basic income is because they need consumers still because, because production forces are not fully automated. They're willing to go to the end where they give us starving wages as, as a universal basic income and keep us literally alive just to be able to produce and consume. As, as they amass surplus value, as, 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 as you know, as, mass, as, as Mark analyzed, and, and keep developing their hegemonical forces and their power and their dominance over us. But I think they already know. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think Second Thought is, is the one that did a video on this. Isn't the approval rating on background checks on guns in America like an overwhelming majority? Even on the left and on the right, you know, like fake left and fake mm, right. Mm. But the approval rating is above 80% in America. Mm -hmm. but, but then again, it will never happen because yeah. the, the, the dollar votes behind the NRA are larger than the human votes on, on democracy. Mm. So we're already we, in an anarcho-capitalist utopia. That's dystopia. a great book idea. There you go. We already live in anarcho-capitalism. <laughs> uh, but you just you just shared it with like 100,000 people. So <laughs> yeah, get, get to writing it. Otherwise, the market <laughs> will privatize no. it immediately. No, but uh, nobody, nobody doesn't change anything. Remember, I'm a non-dialectical Marxist. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, for the, for the, we will definitely have the, these conversations uh, again and again, uh, probably on your shows, on our shows, because yeah, already sure. the, the uh, what's the word? What's the English word? Already the charisma is, uh, is very, very felt. But <laughs> in order, you know, to save some of your time, because you've been here already for one hour and a half uh, already, let's wrap up the same way, I guess, we, we started. Leftist propaganda. So yeah, do you see us as just an extension of consumerism where, you know, we wrap up our ideological beliefs into an easy to digest package for the alienated masses? Or do we actually serve a revolutionary purpose? Is doing this really doing something or are we just another form of uh, escapism? Uh, maybe, mm. I don't know, a combination of both. What do you think about us bread tubers? <laughs> I think no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think it depends it depends more on who's listening than us. Because um mm. I don't I don't think the the message or or the things that we say and the topics we discuss they are received um 
hegemonically uh, over our viewers. Like I think mm-hmm. what I what I have learned over the past few years producing content and having these conversations with several different levels of expertise and even levels of interest where like I will go to syndicates and I will go to uh, to worker co-ops and have conversations with people and I think that the level of interest varies and then you know the the traditional response will be to say well they're alienated you need to help them understand and overcome alienation right and mm-hmm. and that's that's where I fear that we can become over ideological even as as marxists mm. you know like saying no 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 it's a matter of me convincing you that that there's something in your world that needs to change versus saying well is is there something in his material reality that is enabling him mm. to actually understand and then I'll, I'll tell you guys a little bit about my future projects like i just did a huge project around soccer around the world which was uh, soccer as a platform for subaltern groups to their to get their message out mm. so i took advantage of the world cup and the fact that everybody was talking about the world cup and and i traveled to 26 different countries around the world and i recorded stories from soccer from very very mm. marginated communities and you know like down syndrome kids and lgbt's mm. and victims of, of uh, family viol- violence in africa and illegal players that were fishermen and mm. like several very very cool Sorry. Mm. But my next project is about food. Is how mm. is how food is probably the biggest social engineering project unintended mm. that is perpetuating ideology. You know, like because how the che- how the Cheeto KFC collaboration is the most revolutionary <laughs> project of the modern day. Well, Sorry, well, yes, yes, it is <laughs> because if you eat a KFC Cheetos, you're gonna get chronic <laughs> inflammation, and chronic <laughs> inflammation is gonna make you dumb enough so that you're never gonna be able to understand that you're ideologically alienated from the fruit of your labor. The, the, huh. the glycemic peak is gonna keep you alienated. <laughs> yeah, you know what? There's a thesis there. Yeah, no, no, I'm. I'm, I'm I'm not. I'm not joking. You know, I'm, the mm. proliferation. No, 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 I get you. I, the I, proliferation of corn in in America mm, and mm. our consumption of corn is is keeping us mm. very very stupid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I understand the the point. I think it it would be part of a much wider multifaceted analysis, which you've already kind of touched on. Uh, but no, there is. I, I there definitely could be something there. Mm. But I was gonna say about the project that you did, uh, the first one you spoke of, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly reactionary um, uh, project because you called it soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. 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 yes, yes. <laughs> I was I, like, we're we're three non-Americans here. Oh, so no. Call it what it's called. <laughs> no, it's no, called football. Yeah, I'm gonna commit karakiri now. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna commit Deservedly. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just spit on the next American flag you see. Don't worry. Yeah. I I have one as a carpet in my office. Beautiful. Oh Lord. I wish I could, but I don't. I don't want to set my house on fire. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Isn't like in Iraq, like all of toilet paper, like all of the recycled American flags. I wish. I wish. I wish. And now I you wish. can import you know, some from that Afghanistan. That's showing more respect than it deserves, honestly. <laughs> instead, instead of toilet paper, I have a bunch of Ayn Rand books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, honestly. Okay. Look, we don't use American flags as toilet paper. We use American flags to wrap the soldiers that come here and end up dying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, that's, I don't know. If, and they I call me the one would, yeah. with the, the fucking harsh jokes in this show. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, yeah. I, wish wow. I wish it was a joke. Hats off. Hats aren't off. aren't hats we going to hang them with the rope that they sell to us? So. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean that too, but that's not for Americans. That's specific. That's going to be international. That, yeah, that yeah, takes yeah, no nation. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, you oh. go, please lead us into the the promised land of the <laughs> of the sign off. 
<laughs> before we sign off, uh, Diego, would you you already uh, plug the incredible project that uh, you've worked mm. on, uh, the one that you're working on right now, but also tell, please, the audience uh, where they could find more information about those projects, where they could find more information about uh, your work on the on the daily, and obviously all those links will be available in the description, so description mm. info box, whatever platform you're listening on for some reason call this shit a differently so please diego <laughs> tell us uh, tell the audience uh, where they can find you so uh, first of all i would like to uh, reinstate my my happiness of being here and, and having the, the joy of having a conversation with the three of you and it was really really a pleasure and an honor for me to to share space with with you guys i'm a big fan i, I want to i want to reinstate that so people remember in some ways, I was inspired by the work you, you were doing because I think you were producing content before me and I was heavily, heavily inspired by your work. So if there's a testament to our power as a group, even if we're in a different regions around the world, uh, I can say that whatever I'm doing, it's partially and indirectly influenced by the work that you guys were doing first. Uh, having said that, I, uh, you guys can find me at Diego Rusanin. I'm happy enough to have a weird last name, so the handles were not taken anywhere. So, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the same name is in pretty much every platform. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, um, and I think those are it. Uh, actually, TikTok as well, even if I don't manage them all directly. I have a very cool team that helped me clip and, and, and distribute my content all over the, the platforms. But you can pretty much find me as Diego Huzarin everywhere and listen about my projects, my conferences. Uh, I've published two books lately. Uh, if you guys are interested in that, I can send you copies as well. I have some very cool aesthetic t-shirts, even if Jopoknik is not a big fan. If you like to wear comfy mm -hmm. clothes, uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to find some, <laughs> some cool Evangelion and, and, and anime-themed <laughs> Marxist t-shirts. Very cool. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Diego. Thank you very much, Hakeem JT. I think this was a brilliant episode. Thank you for tuning in, especially thank you to all of our patrons without whom this show will would never be able to run. In case you would like to support the show, uh, check out uh, the Patreon link uh, in the description. For basically the price of a can of beer a month, you can... Uh, help the show run, get early episodes, get uh, completely exclusive bonus episodes or join our uh, Patreon Discord. With that being said, uh, Diego, this is how we do the sign-off every time. And this has been... I mean, are we signing off? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yes. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this has been the D-Program. I'm Hakim. I'm JT. I'm Yugopnik. And I'm Diego Rusarin. Hey, right. You got to say something. Say something. Ah, do what? You, ah, you oh, got to do oh, a quip. Uh, the pajamas oh are for. Uh, 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 come on! I don't have a quip. <laughs> <laughs>